I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is the oyster farmer, Skip Bennett. Skip is the founder of Island Creek Oysters, which grows oysters and supplies them to more than 400 chefs across the United States. Restaurants that serve his oysters include Thomas Keller's Per Se and French Laundry, the Eastern Standard in Boston, and the Catbird Seat in Nashville, Tennessee. Island Creek Oysters also operates its own restaurants called the Island Creek Oyster Bar and Row 34 in Boston, Massachusetts. Skip started Island Creek Oysters in Duxbury, Massachusetts in 1990. He sells roughly 120,000 oysters per week or 5 million oysters per year. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. I would like to start with understanding how oysters grow. Where we are, there's no wild oysters, so all of our oysters begin their life in a, in a hatchery. We pick out oysters that have done really well in Duxbury Bay. We bring those in and, and we spawn them. They're sequential hermaphrodites, meaning that they're either male or female, but they switch back and forth. Hmm. Um, so we don't know until they release either eggs or sperm which one they are. And when they start to release, we isolate them and then just add a little bit of sperm and into the eggs and they start to fertilize right before your eyes. What do the oysters eat while they're growing? So they, they only eat live uh, phytoplankton. Algae? It is algae, yeah. In the hatchery, we grow six different species of plankton. As soon as we can get them big enough to get them out the door, and we also have to wait until the water's warm enough that there's plankton in the water and that they can survive. And then they're on their own. How does their shell form? This is uh, made of calcium carbonate. They get it through the, the carbon in the water. The more that we can tumble them around, too, just bang them up a little bit in that summer, they, you can actually get the shell to grow more dense. So uh, and what happens if you don't tumble them up a they, little bit? They can, they can grow long and thin shells, and really we want an oyster that's pretty compact. You know, maybe two and a half to three inches would be, for me, the ideal oyster with a really deep cup so that it has um, a, lot of, a lot of meat inside. We talk about terroir, uh, which is, you know, the land that wine might grow in. And similarly, you use a term, meroir, which is kind of the, the environment that the oyster grows in. It is, well, it is. We select really round oysters, which are maybe a little non-traditional. Our oysters are very fluted, um, so we, we select for that. And then there's, you know, the type of plankton that grows in the water and the minerals that are there mm -hmm. that play into the flavor profile. How would you describe the taste of your oyster? They change seasonally a little bit, but they I always describe them as like super briny up front. And then there's kind of a, a, a real um, vegetal sweetness to them. And I think they, they finish very buttery. What is the history of oysters in the United States? How long have people been eating oysters? Well, I think, you know, it goes back to the first settlers, and clearly the Native Americans long before the settlers ate a lot of oysters. And we know that from the shell middens, the piles that were in the Chesapeake and in Maine, these massive piles of, of ancient shells. Over the years, 100 years ago, it was a big part of our culture. My dad, who grew up in the in the 40s, remembers having oyster stew every Wednesday night. And it was just because it was such a plentiful source of protein. In the 50s and the 60s, there were two diseases that wiped out kind of the largest populations of oysters in the United States. And, um, and that part of our culture was lost. 
Why is there now this renaissance of oyster culture in the United States? Why are we seeing it on more menus now? When when I first started selling oysters in Boston, there was just a handful of restaurants that had oysters on the menu. And as we produced more and more, there were more and more restaurants that had it on the menu. And we used to think, wow, aren't we lucky? We kind of caught this while you know, it's on the rise. But we realized that really what was going on was now that there was a local kind of dependable, high-quality source of oysters, that chefs were more willing to put them on the menu. So and it I was think, you. Sorry, keep well, going. Well, it was me and, and you know a handful of other farmers at that time. And now there's a, a ton of oyster farmers on the East Coast. And it's really, it's been the rebirth of this oyster culture that's pretty interesting. You talk about how you farm your oysters, but there's this kind of negative connotation attached to farming a bit. (laughs) And I know you do it in a clean way, but um, talk to me about that for a moment. Well, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that there is a negative connotation around it because the crux of the issue is that there are seven billion people on earth now and not enough food to go around. You know, shellfish farming is probably one of the most sustainable ways to grow protein because there's not a lot of inputs. So we're not growing grass to feed animals or growing grains to feed animals. And we're not using fertilizers or water. It's really what the oyster or the shellfish are eating to create the protein is something that's a nuisance to the water. Nitrogen. It is, yeah. Well, the nitrogen causes excessive algae blooms. And when people live and and work and farm around the watershed, the nitrogen leaches into the water and you get excessive algae blooms, which shade out plant life and use up dissolved oxygen. So it really can make an inhospitable environment for fish and shellfish. So the oysters are natural vacuum cleaners in a way of this nuisance? They are. They remediate the the nitrogen and and they're turning the, the... algae into protein, which is amazing. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Skip Bennett, the founder of Island Creek Oysters, a company that harvests oysters and sells them to more than 400 chefs in the United States. Restaurants that serve Island Creek Oysters include Shaw's Crab House in Chicago, King's Seafood in Los Angeles, and the Oyster Bar in New York's Grand Central Station. You grew up in Duxbury, Massachusetts, and shell fishing is an important part of your life. Yet, when you graduated from college in 1989, you had a finance degree and you thought you'd work on Wall Street. How come? You know, it was the 80s, and I loved finance when I was in school, and um, I had a lot of friends that were in New York. I I told everybody I was just going to work on the Bay for one more summer and try to save enough money to buy a suit and get my resume together. I'm still working on it. (laughs) How did that not happen? Well, so in 1989, I was um, digging mussels in Duxbury, and uh, I really loved, loved working outside. I loved the independence of working on the Bay, the physical work. It was... It just suited me. I heard about some guys out on the Cape, way out in Wellfleet, that were growing clams. I thought that sounded kind of interesting. As fishermen, they were barely making grocery money. And that now that they were growing clams, they were all driving around in new trucks and going to Florida for the winter. I thought, what else do I need? So you discovered these, these clam producers, and you started then a clam business. I did. I started a clam farm, and the town of Duxbury was generous enough to license me three acres of kind of non-productive areas in the bay. Um, so I got three acres and started growing clams. I didn't have any money. 
Mm-hmm. I couldn't borrow money. It was I couldn't imagine going to a bank and telling them I was going to borrow money to put clam seed in, a, in the bay. Did you try? No, I don't think so. And who was this? This was yourself and who it was, else? It was really me back in those days, and I was shellfishing. That, that was where I got the money to buy the clam seed. So it was really hard-earned money, you know, bent over in the mud digging clams to save enough money to buy the clam seed. So that went along pretty well. And each year I started harvesting in 93. So I really rolled that money back into the clam farm. And in 95, I got wiped out by a, a protozoan parasite. It's specific to clams. It was tough. I don't, I really needed to at least try another option. And this is while your buddies are working in New York in suits on Wall Street. Yeah. Which and- was probably, you know, in retrospect, being in debt was really hard. And it was really the uncertainty of what I was doing with my life that was the most difficult. At some level, it felt incredibly irresponsible. Just day to day, even though it was challenging, were you just like existentially feeling fulfilled or were you more stressed out about the income issue? Well, I was stressed out about the income, but I had no doubt that's what I was supposed to be doing with my life. What about your parents? What were they doing? Um, well, my dad was a lobsterman and um, I think they thought I was crazy. And your dad also owned a gas station. He did, yep. Mm-hmm. And I grew up working there as mm-hmm. a kid. So you thought, all right, I'll try oysters on. Yep. And there was this farm you discovered in Maine called, uh, appropriately, the the Chance Along Farm. <laughs> How did you come into contact with them? They had a nursery at Chance Along Farm, which was the, owned by the Horn family. Uh, so they were growing seed up there. By seed, you mean? We refer to you know, baby shellfish as seed, you know, like a half an inch. They were already metamorphosed baby oysters that they had grown all summer long. They were really, really pioneers in figuring out how to grow seed, um, which really kind of made a match made in heaven where, you know, I bought seed from them, brought it back, and I had pretty good success on the grow outside and um, kind of struck up a friendship with them. And in 97, their son Christian moved down to Duxbury. He and I really kind of pioneered the the grow-out part in Duxbury. Now, you know, when you say you were the sole fisherman or the sole oyster farmer, and now you had this partner, I think of, like, the old man in the sea, alone on the ocean. But what was your social life like at the time? I was working all the time, and it was really nice to suddenly have somebody that understood. Um, for the most part, when I would talk about what I was doing on the water, people's eyes would glaze over and they really had no idea of what I was talking about. And at that point, I was newly married. I had a, a little baby, a 96 and 98. Yes, yeah, so I had two. So I was busy. What is your wife's name? She, uh, I'm divorced. What was what Shannon. Was, and what did she make of what you were doing? I think she thought I was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was challenging for both of us. In 2001, you had a pivot moment that was uh, coincident with September 11th happening. People were no longer wanted to buy, you know, luxury items, which oysters were considered part of. Um, but why did that occurrence actually help your business, ironically? Well, I had a friend who, a college friend who was working in high tech, so he was in Cambridge, Massachusetts. and. I was talking with him and complaining about how desperate I was to sell oysters. And he told me about a restaurant in Cambridge called the East Coast Grill. He said that they had oysters on the menu. So I got in my old pickup truck and out of desperation drove up there and I met Chris Schlesinger, the owner of the East Coast Grill. And um, I didn't know if 
if he'd laugh at me or if they'd kick me out of the restaurant. But he and um, Eric Isusheff, they couldn't believe that, A, there was an oyster farmer in Massachusetts, and B, that he was standing in their restaurant. So mm. basically he said, you know, we want to buy all of our oysters from you. On that kind of momentum, I came back and I had a book that somebody had given me. It was the history of oysters. And in the back of the book, there were these famous oyster bars all across the United States. So I was flipping through it and I thought, well, I'll give it a try. And um, the first one I called was a place called Le Bernardin <laughs> in Manhattan. And I asked to speak to the kitchen and they asked why. And I, I told them and they said, hang on. And I got this guy on the phone. His name was Eric. And I couldn't hardly understand him because mm -hmm. of his French accent. And we talked about oysters and oysters in France. And he, he told me what he wanted for the oysters. So I sent him a sample. He told me he wanted smaller, deeper cup oysters. So again, we kept kind of culling through and found the oysters that he wanted. And we started selling to Eric Repair at Le Bernardin. Now, uh, so from there, it was, you know, the... Um, Old Eric Grill in Washington, D.C., Water Grill in L.A., Samson Street Oyster Bar in Philadelphia. We just started hitting all these great old oyster bars. And so it was ultimately you're getting in your truck and you're going yourself to connect with these chefs directly, yeah. uh, such as Eric Repair at Le Bernardin. And uh, Le Bernardin being one of the most um, prominent seafood restaurants in New York City and the East Coast Grill in Boston, that, that caused your, your situation to turn around. Yeah, and it really, it, it was the beginning of kind of the model that we built. And in retrospect, it was the beginning of, of farm to table. Right. It was just that our farm was in the water. How did relationships with, let's say, uh, the French Laundry and T Thomas Keller, per se, how did, how did that originate? Well, that that's actually a pretty interesting one. The beginning was that when Thomas opened in New York, opened per se, they, they had a fire in the kitchen. You know, they'd spent years building this restaurant and it must have been devastating for them, you know, for him and also for the staff. But they regrouped after the fire, and, and Thomas said, I want something good to come out of this. Go out and find cool new products, he told the whole staff. And two chefs, um, Rory Herman and Chris Lahamadou, found us. After a few years of, of serving them per se, we reached out to French Laundry, and we were able to, um, you know, to get into French Laundry as well. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Skip Bennett, the founder of Island Creek Oysters. Just as Thomas Keller starts off with a fire in his restaurant, uh, you started out with the bay uh, freezing. Can you can you tell us that yeah, story? Yeah. So every once in a while, the bay will freeze over completely, and um, it was an exceptionally cold winter, and the bay froze so solid that we were able to drive trucks out there. So at low tide, we were driving out on the ice and cutting through with chainsaws. The, the bay ice was about a foot thick. So we knew where the oysters were, and we could pull the oyster bags up through the ice. And it wasn't just per se. It was, you know, we had a, a whole bunch of restaurants that at that time we felt like we really couldn't let them down. In addition to having these direct relationships with these chefs, you also sell your oysters online. Uh, can we can do, you describe yeah. that a little more? Yeah, we have this kind of new e-commerce platform that we're, we're developing. We're really excited about it. Late last night, I was 
I went back to the hatchery and I, I was kind of messing around with some stuff and I decided to grade one of the silos of seed and I dumped the seed out on the screen and started washing it through the screen to see how big they were and I realized that the pile was about two million. They were on a 500 micron screen, They were, which makes them like the size of a flake of pepper, barely visible. And for, I've never done this before, but I started thinking about that there were two million oysters there and where would these oysters end up? And it was kind of cool to think, you know, maybe they'll end up at somebody's dinner party in Aspen at Christmas time or all the, you know, people's homes that they could end up with in and how those people would be excited to get those oysters. How about the uh, oyster pearls? How does the pearl originate? So um, most of the pearls that the commercial pearls are grown, um, I think they're freshwater oysters. Mm-hmm. So they're a different species. Our oysters will make pearls, but they're um, tiny. All, actually, all shellfish make pearls mm-hmm. um, or can make pearls. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but all the ones that we found are like the size of a BB. So they're really small. It's yeah. still kind of, kind of neat when you find one. You know, I've, I've found probably two or three in my whole career as an oyster farmer. So um, I'd have to be pretty patient to be a pearl farmer. Have you kept them? Um, I think, yeah, I have, I have one, and I, I've given the other ones away. You mentioned um, that you that you like the physical work of being out there, and I think you know my being in New York City. I've been thinking lately how we as human beings uh, need physical work. That's what we did on the farms hundred years ago, and all of us here in New York are kind of simulating that physical work yeah. in gyms and on exercise bikes. Do you think about that kind of more holistically at all? Unfortunately, I don't do the as much physical work as I used to, but it it is really. Um, you know, I think it's important for all of us to not only do physical work, but to be outside and to be in the sun and, you know, um, just out in the elements. And I think it's really healthy. That's the way we've evolved mm-hmm. to to be physical and to be out, outdoors. I think it's pretty, pretty unnatural the way that we live now. I was reading something recently on social media that they said that um, 10,000 years ago, man would have kicked our butts. They were farmers and they would have to trek out to the fields every day and the you know the physical work that they did day in and day out would put our running on treadmills and lifting weights to shame. Thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me Jessica. My guest has been Skip Bennett, founder of Island Creek Oysters. If you'd like to learn more about the show, please visit our website at fromscratchradio.org or follow us on Twitter at Jess G. Harris or find us on Facebook. I'm Jessica Harris, and this is From Scratch. Scratch.